As you're in the book of Nehemiah, I hope already, I'm going to move this to the side a little bit. And I would like to read this little paragraph to you. Um, It's very small print. Um, And I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to listen to it. I'm afraid that sometimes, um, as believers, we get used to coming and going to our services, um, and it becomes more of a habit, which is not a bad habit, um, but it becomes more of something we 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 just do. And so my question tonight, and what we're going to be looking at from the book of Nehemiah, is my question is this. If someone were to come to you and say, how well do you know God? What would you tell them? That's an honest answer, isn't it? He said, not well enough. But God in his word has revealed everything there is to know about him that we need to know to live our lives. There are some things that are still mysteries to us, and they probably will remain mysteries to us until we get to heaven. But are we obeying, are we observant readers of God's word? And that was part of Psalm 119. That's where I was going to start tonight is on on seven prayers to ponder. And the psalmist says in the very first part of that psalm, he says, he's praying, God, make me an observant reader. Then he asks God, help me to know and understand how to apply what I'm reading to make my life different. And there are seven of those prayers that, that we as believers should ponder and then practice. But what about those of us that we kind of get into a, a um, what, you, what we would call if you were out on the sea and there was, you were in a sailboat and you needed the wind to move you and there was no wind, it's called the doldrums. And you just sit there till the wind decides to blow again. And nothing happens. It's usually no clouds, the sun's out, it's hot. And you begin to question what exactly you're doing out in the middle of the ocean. But do we come to church and we kind of get into the doldrums? Just doing what we do. Listen to this little, I guess it could be called a poem, but it's it's a paragraph. Listen to this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough To explode my soul or to disturb my sleep. But just enough to equal a cup of warm milk. Or a snooze in the sunshine. I want want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of of the womb, but not a new birth. I want a, a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Think about that. Do we come to church and treat church like a transaction? Do we, is it kind of the domino experience? I want it in 30 minutes or less, or I'm not given a tithe. 
I, I hope that's not the case, but can it be? It can. And you don't have to answer this or don't elbow anybody if they're sitting close enough to you, but has it happened to you in some cases? I would have to say in my heart there have been times where it's just, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm here. But don't expect much out of me. Tonight I want us to look at this wonderful passage of Scripture. Look at chapter 2, verse 18 as we begin tonight. Chapter 2, verse 18 is going to be kind of a launching point where we're going to go back into chapter 1 in just a moment. But look with me and follow along as I read verse 18 of chapter 2. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. That's a great verse, isn't it? Full of, full of uh, help and encouragement to us. To see what Nehemiah did. When you were young, did you ever play follow the leader? Not, not Simon Says, but follow the leader. And there'd be a long line of, of children or, or individuals. And, and the, the person in the front got to decide what the rest of the line had to do. And if you had a, a fairly calm individual, they, you know, they would do things with their arms. They'd jump up and down. They'd twirl around. And uh, they would walk slowly, then walk fast, maybe take off running. And then after a while, people would get bored. They're like, this is boring. You're not doing anything fun. So a new leader would be established. And that would probably be somebody totally the opposite. They'd be climbing tree limbs and walking on the edge of walls and, and uh, smashing through puddles and mud. And, and then pretty soon everybody said, I don't want to do this anymore. And after you went through two or three leaders like that, they would go back and recycle and say, well, let's pick them again. No, 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 no. They, t- made, they made us go through the mud. I don't want to do that. Or they were boring. We don't want to use them. And it, it isn't it interesting that even in that short amount of time, you could, you could figure out what that leader was going to do most likely the next time he, got, he or she got chosen. And so based upon what they, the previous performance, they led us through the mud, so I'm not following them that, the next time. Or they were boring, so I don't want to do that. The amount of confidence or the lack of confidence that came out of just a short amount of time of following that leader. Now, let me ask you this as an adult in your everyday life at work or maybe even in your homes. When you're supposed to follow the leadership that is established over you, maybe it's in a work situation and that leader makes a decision, but it's not a good decision. And you in your heart know that it's not going to be a good decision. But because his or her name is on your paycheck, you do it because they're the leader. But maybe that decision doesn't follow through and the next time they come up with a great decision that they're going to make and you have to follow it in your heart, what do you say? Man, I don't have any confidence in what is getting ready to happen. I don't really feel like we should do this. Your confidence is shaken. But the obverse of that is the same if that leader makes a great decision 
and, it, and it's a great success. The next time they come up with an idea, they're like, yes, let's do it. Did you realize what happened last time? Your confidence is, is reassured and steadfast in them. I want you to look at this passage tonight. And Nehemiah, we already read that verse where he said that God's hand, his good hand was on him. And because they knew God, and that because Nehemiah said God's hand was on him, they said, we're ready to do this good work. But where, where did that all come from? That just didn't happen. What did, De- what did Nehemiah do previously to this so that when the time came for them to follow the leader, they willingly did what God wanted them to do? Let's look at that tonight. In this first part, part of, this, of the passage, we look at verse chapter, 11, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. And it says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now mine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. He's asking God to bless the endeavor that he's about ready to embark on, because he's going to go before the king and request A big request. And he was prior to this the king's cupbearer. Now listen, that was an important job. Because he was responsible to taste everything. And if Nehemiah died in the the drinking of that cup, the king would say, that's not, somebody's trying to kill me. But as, although that's an important position, he was the king's cupbearer, which did not, Give him the authority or the ability just to march right into the king and say, Oh, king, I've got a really big request from you. He couldn't do that. So he's asking God for favor with this king so that he can go in and submit a huge request. Notice this. His request, his prayer, was concentrated on God. Seeking God's face for his approval. His prayer life was concentrated. It was a vital part of his relationship to God. Number two, he prayed for others and their needs. Look at verse 11 again. And I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. So his prayer was not only concentrated on God and to God, but it was also full of compassion and concern for the same request for others. Let me ask you a question. When when you wake up in the nighttime, how many of you, uh, when you can't go back to sleep, you, you take that time to pray? Anybody? Or do you just get frustrated and go, man, I wish I could go back to sleep and stare at the walls or stare at the ceiling or... Listen to your wife snore or something. You know, it's a perfect time for us to to pray and have concern for others. Requests that they have. 
concentrated time where we focus on God and we focus on what he will do for us. But we need to ask and we pray for others at the same time. He went before God to the, with the right attitude, with fear and respect. Verse 11 tells us he went with a contrite heart, with contrition. The Bible tells us that a humble person with a contrite heart, that, that God will not despise that man. He listens and he hears. So, so there's a lesson here that we don't go to God with arrogance, demanding or telling what we want God to do, but rather asking him. God, this is what you've, what's, laid on, what's been laid upon my heart. This is the responsibility that is before me. God, help me to know what to do. Give me guidance. In one of our Sunday school classes recently, we talked about wisdom and how to get wisdom. And wisdom is not, not asking for, for, for a, a path or a plan. Wisdom is, is waiting upon God to show you what to do with what you know is right. As to a course of action that's pleasing to God. God, what do you want me to do? And if you'll show me that, then give me the wisdom to know how to go about doing it and to get it done. Nehemiah was an incredible example of this kind of leadership. He, he went first, concentrated on praying to God, the, the, the source, the resource of his request. If God didn't grant it, it wasn't going to happen. So he went to the source, the resource in his prayer, which was God. And then he prayed out of concern, asking God to also answer the others as they prayed as well. And he went with a, the right attitude, a contrite heart. And uh, I, I was looking at this, and there's a quote that, that I saw that goes along with this. And, and I got this quote in, on November the 9th in 1985. I actually wrote that down. Um, and that surprised me because I would not have remembered it otherwise. He, this quote was from one of our chaplains when I was in, in, at university. He was one of our our society chap, chaplains and great, great uh, preacher and communicator of the word of God. And he said this um, about Nehemiah and about just us in general. You cannot represent God before a people until you represent people before God. I like that. I don't know if that's original with him, but I liked it. I liked it well enough. I wrote it down and dated it. But Nehemiah knew how to represent the people before God because he'd already been before God himself. There was a man in my church that I pastored in Florida. His name was Harry Wilson. And if he was ever in a service and we had an opportunity for, for someone to pray from the floor, I would always ask Brother Harry Wilson to pray. You want to know why? When he prayed, it was like he had just left the courtroom of heaven talking to his best friend. I... I I never heard a man pray so sweet and so, so tenderly as if he was talking to his best friend because he knew God and he was his best friend. And that built confidence in his prayers in my heart. When I would hear him pray, it was like he had just finished talking to God just seconds ago and just picked up the conversation. 
So if the question was asked of you, how well do you know God? Nehemiah knew him well enough to concentrate his prayer on them, but also to pray out of concern and contrition because there was a great need in front of him. When we go to God and there's a great need laid out in front of us, do you go in haste and verbalize a quick prayer and then off you go? Like that little paragraph I read, just, just, just answer enough. I, I, just need, I just need this answered right now. Or do we really, really go before God and represent the need knowing that he hears and that he responds and that he wants to meet that need? Do you believe that tonight? Do you pray that way? Next week, we see that he prayed for the needs of the day. Verse 11, he committed each need to God. Then he prayed for God to deal in mercy. It was a compassionate response. Oh God, I'm your servant. I don't really deserve that you answer this prayer, but God, would you deal in mercy? Would you show mercy on us and on me? And on these other men and the others that will be working on this project. Oh God, will you show us mercy? Grant this request. I like the way he approaches God in this prayer. And this is just verse 11. Now, before we move on much further... In chapter 2, verse 4, notice what happens here. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? I don't know about you, but my knees would be knocking about right now. He's now standing before the king. He was just a cupbearer. And now he's standing in the presence of the king, representing the nation that needs to rebuild their city. That's a big shift of responsibility. And the king looks at him and says, what is it that you need? What are you asking me for? Now, I don't know about you, but if it were me, I'd go, uh, 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 and, and I would, I'd be reaching for something. I'd say, okay, I have a list. You know, can, you want me to read it or can I give it to you? Now, that would be me. But look what happens here. He's prayed about it. And the king says, what is it that you request? And notice what the king says. I love this. Look at verse 4. So, and and before, before he even responded, watch what he does. Look at this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, don't you love that? You ever been in a situation where, where you're like that and, you, and, and somebody does something or you, you need something and now you have the opportunity? And just quietly from your heart you say, Oh God, I need your help. I need you right now. 
Before he even opened his mouth to make the request, he said, I prayed again to the God of heaven. The Bible tells me in the New Testament that we're to pray without what? Ceasing. I believe that's what that means. I believe that's what that carries through with. Everything we do, our day should be, should be interspersed with regular moments of prayer. Sentence prayers is what my pastor back home called them. Sentence prayers. And man, that man knew how to pray. I mean, he'd pray in the middle of a parking lot. He'd pray in the middle of a, of a grocery store. If there was something that came up that needed prayer, and he had a loud, he only had one volume, which was all the way up. And, and he, he, he'd be walking through and something, he'd get a phone call or he'd see somebody and they'd say, Pastor, it's good to see you. I've got this need. He'd say, well, let's pray about it. Just like that, right in the middle. I mean, it wouldn't matter if he was in a restaurant. If he was in the grocery store, let's pray about it right now. And he'd be praying before you could even bow your head. But he was sincere. Didn't pray very long. And about the time you got your eyes closed, he was finishing up. You didn't know what, you didn't know what to do. But he prayed like that. And he, he said, Barry, that's what you need to do. You need to pray like that. You need, you need to always be in an attitude of prayer. I remember one time I was concerned about a missions project that I was wanting to get involved in. And I met him in the hallway. And I said, Pastor, can I have a moment of your time? I've got a question for you. I don't know what to do. What do you recommend? So I told him a little bit about it. He said, well, let's pray about it. Just like that. I was in the middle of a hallway. Church had just been dismissed. There were people all over the place. So he puts his hand on my shoulder. He said, dear Lord, Barry needs to know what to do about this. He needs to understand, have wisdom. I've told him what I think about it. But God, you're the one that needs to tell him. Show him what he needs to do. Amen. And off he went in his office and I'm standing there. But everything he prayed about, everything he gave me advice about was exactly spot on. You want to know why? Because he knew God. He knew God. And I had confidence in him because he knew God. That's why I went and talked to him about it. Nehemiah knows God here. He knew how to approach God. He knew when to approach God. And he knew that he needed to approach God often in every situation. So his communion with God proceeded and produced a confident, competent, courageous leader. Now that's the kind of man I want to follow. Wouldn't you want to follow that? A courageous, competent, encouraged, prayed up man that knew God. And you'd say, I'm following him. Because he's, he's told us God's hand is on him and we can see it. I want to follow that kind of a person. We need to be those kind of leaders. You say, but... I'm not really the leadership material type. I'm not talking about leading a large group of people. I'm talking about leading your homes, leading the people you know, encouraging your neighbors and being out front where they see you. And whenever there's a need, they know they can come to you because they have confidence in the fact that you follow and you know God. My uncle, my brother, my dad's brother did not come to Christ until he was very near death. He lived his whole life 
just on the fringe. But every time my uncle would have a situation or get into a situation where he didn't really know what was going to be the outcome or what to do, he would call my dad and say, Wayne, I need you to pray for me. And my dad prayed for him. You want to know why Uncle Warren called my dad? Because my dad had a relationship and communion with God on a regular basis, and it showed. And he knew it. And, it had, and they were com- we were confident in my dad's leadership because he knew God. God's hand was upon him. And when God's hand is on you, you're able to do those things that are supernatural to the, to, to the, to the unbeliever. Because God is in it, and God's hand is on it. So he continued to pray. And then we see in the following verses, look at verse 12 of chapter 2. And I arose in the night, and I, some few men with me, neither told I any man what God had put on in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. You know, there's a progression here in Nehemiah's obedience and what Nehemiah did. He, he was uh, centered and, and, and directed his prayer to God and for others. And that produced confidence and he continued in prayer. And now he was controlled by the leadership of the Spirit of God. And he, let's put it this way, he had a God consciousness. That's not, I'm not trying to make something mysterious out of that. But, but he was conscious of God, God's presence in his life. Proverbs tells us that in all, all our ways we are to what? Acknowledge him. And then what happens? He directs our paths. But we expect God to show us what the path is. And then we say, okay, God, thank you for doing that. But that's backwards, that's according to what that verse says. Acknowledge him first. And then he'll give you wisdom and guidance and direct your path. But that takes time, doesn't it? It means we have to sit down. We have to have a personal time with God. We have to get into the word of God. Let the word of God get into me. I saw this funny little story when I was looking at the other passages that I was wanting to preach. And this lady was in a meeting where the, the preacher was telling them that you need to read the Bible every day and you need to read it thoroughly. And uh, this lady spoke up and very piously said, I've read through the Bible many times. The preacher looked at her and said, how many times has the Bible been through you? Wow. That's quite a thought, isn't it? We can read through the Bible. But do we take time and say, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, get into me, show me, and and lead me and guide me? Or do we just do the $3 worth of God in our morning devotions? Don't explode my heart. Don't get me too excited. Don't obligate me to do anything, God. Just, I'm reading my Bible. That's not enough. 
We've got to let the Bible get into us. Nehemiah was controlled by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's why he could confidently and competently and courageously go out at night and walk and ride around the walls knowing that God would show him exactly the plan of action he would need. Exactly what he needed. He followed God's guidance. In chapter 2, verse 12, he was a man of obedience. You know why he was a man of obedience? Because his confidence wasn't in him, it was in God. He'd already prayed and talked to God. He didn't have to worry about obeying. He didn't have to worry about trusting. He knew he could trust God because God was already answering prayer. And he was confident that God would continue to guide and lead him. That's God's character. We can have confidence and trust in who God is and what he's done and how he's performed in the past. He will always be faithful. God's hand was on him. He was a man of obedience. He followed God's guidance. He put action behind his words. And he led. He led out front. He testifies of the power of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Now remember, he was riding around, and he hadn't told the men that were with him what God had laid upon his heart. Can you imagine what he would have, might have done, what those men might have done, if, if they didn't have confidence in him, and they didn't know that he knew God as well as he did, and he said, this is what we're going to do. They probably, if they were riding horses, they probably would have turned around and went back to the barn. And Nehemiah would have been riding by himself. But he said, no, 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 listen. God's hand is on me. He's in this. And I know it. And this is the plan. He said, then he spoke unto me. And they, and they said, this is what they said. This is because he was competent, courageous, and confident, not in himself, but in God. And they said, we see it. And they said, let us, let us do this good thing. We're with you. We're behind you. Let's do this. And that's what you want to see when you follow the leader. When you know the leader is not going to make you do really weird things and maybe jump in the mud when you don't need to, but, he's, but you're confident in what he's doing, causing you to do, you'll follow, will you not? But when you're hesitant about what he's going to make you do, and you don't see a real good character reference in his past decisions, you hesitate, don't you? You're like, well, I don't know about that. Are you sure? Do you really want to do that? Is this smart? Now, sometimes it's just lack of faith in them. But when God is on a man and or a woman, and they, and they are led by the Holy Spirit, there is a confidence that comes from them because their confidence is not in themselves but in God. And you see it. And just like we talk about when you come into a church where you know God is, your spirit bears witness with their spirit, and you say, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. And so you do. And you go and you put, your, you put your one foot in front of the other by faith, believing and following the confident, courageous leadership that God's put in front of you. 
He put his faith and trust in God to provide. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2. Then answered I them and said unto them. I love this. Again, look at, at his confidence. It's not in him. He constantly and confidently points back to God. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, no right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. He said, we're going to arise, we're going to build, we're going to do this. The title of the message I heard just recently from the book of Nehemiah, the whole theme of the messages that have been preached by this one particular man, is called Brick by Brick. That's how you build a wall, one brick at a time. And he was confident, and his confidence bled over into their lives, and they said, let's do this. And he said, once again, it's in God. God's going to let us arise. God's going to cause us to do this. He's the one that's going to strengthen our hand, and he's going to provide. He put action behind his word. Because Nehemiah had a fellowship with God that was so sweet, And so real, he could stand before others and boldly and confidently proclaim the greatness of God and his goodness. And as a result of his testimony for God and with the truth of God's word, he proved a people and caused and moved a people to do a great work. His confidence moved the people with a clear And careful plan. What did he do? Once again, chapter 4, look at verse 9. What do you think he did first? You see a pattern here? Chapter 4, verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Nehemiah wasn't stupid. He knew the enemy was real. It was a physical enemy. So what did he do? He put some that would hold the weapons while the others worked. Some worked with a weapon in their hands. And I can picture it after so so much time they'd switch out. All right, you stand guard, I'll work. And they kept doing that. And they kept doing that. God gave him a plan of provision, but also protection. God will do the same for you. When you're not sure about what's going on in your life or how this is going to lead, where, you're, where this is going to lead you, put your trust and confidence in God. Pray frequently about it. Seek his face. Know him and trust him. And the only way you can know the promise maker is to get into his word and learn about who he is. And when you learn about him, you'll see that there's a lot more that you don't know about him. And it'll cause you to want to learn more about him. But as you learn more about him, your confidence in him will grow. And you'll learn that others will see that confidence. And it's not in you, it's in you following God. And then when there's a need... They'll either come to you and you'll pray about it together and you'll pray for them as well. Or if there's a need to actually get to work, 
when they come to you or you come to them, they'll say, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this great work. I was encouraged a a year or two ago in the GAP class, which is the college age, college age and career class that meets same time on Wednesday nights. Uh, Chris Watson has been leading that uh, faithfully for many years now. And uh, each year he would present to the class a family that he'd come across, whether at school, public school, Christian school, or in the neighborhood, that we would choose for at Christmas to help. And each time it was a different family, and we just trusted him to, to bring us the right family. He prayed about it. And one year he brought us a family, and we asked him for their lists. We asked him for their sizes. We asked him for their wish list. And we mean it when we say wish list. And then out of our gap class, and our gap class is not very big. And a lot of them are college students, so they don't have huge bank accounts. Who does this day anyway? Um, but you know what I mean. And so the need was put forth. And it would always be just mind-blowing what would come in. And one year, uh, not, not many years ago, I think it was I met, maybe even two years ago, um, we raised $2,000 for this family. And what was exciting was we were able to go, some of that was put on cards so they could go buy food. Some of that was put on cards so they could go buy gifts. And some of it was just fun money. You like to have fun money where where you just, you know, you have it and it's, hey. That was such a blessing. And we got to go to the school, the high school. And the mom was called to school to be with her son that we were giving the card to that family. And you can imagine what mom was thinking. It's like, oh, man, what has Junior done? Why are they calling me to school? Well, they called us into the coach's office and... We're all standing there, and she didn't know us, and her eyes got real big, and he was very nervous because his coach was looking at him, and we got to present that to this family, and they were, they were dumbstruck. And then tears flowed, and hugs, and more tears, and thank yous, and, and it was such a blessing. So I told Pastor about it because he didn't know that we were doing that. And he said, wow, what caused them to do that? What caused them to give so much? I said, pastor, you've taught us. You have taught us from the pulpit what true generosity and love and concern looks like. You do it every Sunday. You do it when you give large amounts of money to missionaries or you build churches. I said, they following the leader. And they're confident in you because you've made good decisions and you, and you give glory to God when it happens. They're following the leader. He said, wow, that's humbling. He says, because you're a good teacher. You're a good leader. We confidently follow you. They confidently follow you. And so... When, when we see these, this kind of leadership, it's easy for us to make application and see how we can be good, obedient, courageous, faith-filled followers. 
Because we're not following a man, we're following God, working in a man. Right? We need to be that kind of a confident leader. Not that they'll be confident in us, because in us, we are, we, there's nothing in us. But when God works through us, great things get accomplished for his glory. Prayer was first. Faith and responsibility. What, what does that mean? Well, they put forth their faith, but then when Nehemiah said, okay, here's what you're going to have to do to demonstrate that you're behind me, and that's what James said. If, if you say you're saved, I'll show you I'm saved by how I respond. Nehemiah might have said, okay, it's time to put on your bib overalls and your boots and your hat. We're going to work. And they demonstrated their confidence and their faith in what God had laid upon Nehemiah's heart by putting their hands to the job. Is God asking you to do something here at Harvest? What is he asking you to put your hand to that you've yet to take up the challenge? We just had a, I'm not sure what you call call it, but Brother Shane had put together a thing where we had tables, and you all were supposed to go by and see what those tables were about and get involved. I can say this because if you get mad at me, it's okay. But you know what? We didn't have very many people sign up in those in any of those areas. We had some volunteers sign up for vacation Bible school, but that's short, isn't it? That's a full week, and wow, we're, we, we did it. We, we get a t-shirt, too. <laughs> we really do. And, and we're done. Three dollars worth of God, please. What's God asking you? To stand in the gap and and say, okay, I'll be a part of this. Let's do this. Let's put our hands to this good work. Is God asking you to do something that you've yet to say yes to? Then I encourage you tonight, put your yes on the table. Whatever God is asking or prompting in your heart, put your yes on the table. And say, yes, God, I'll do it. I don't know how. (laughs) I, I don't even know how. I don't have any particular talents necessarily, but I'll tell you what, I'm sure there were people laying, laying block and holding weapons that had never done any of that before. And there was a little group, I'm always interested in this little group, they were a religious, pious group, and they said, we're not getting our hands dirty. Uh-uh. Because Nehemiah assigned them to a section of the wall, and they said, nah. We're not getting our hands dirty. So you know what Nehemiah did? He said, okay, I guess that'll be just a bit. We'll make a door there. No. He put somebody else to take care of that section. My pastor I grew up under, he never said this mean. He said, folks, if you want to come to, at the time it was called Bethesda Baptist Church. He said, if you come to Bethesda and you join, we want you here. But be prepared. Because I want you to either lead, follow, or just move over and get out of the way because we're going to go to work. 
Now, he didn't say that mean, but it was true. He wanted you to either get there and be a leader or be an obedient, enthusiastic follower or watch out. You might get stepped on because there's going to be people working and doing what they need to do to make the church grow. grow. So here's the conclusion. They watched and they worked. They took up the responsibility. They did it together, side by side, one brick at a time, watching and working. And he stood for the cause of Christ. In chapter 4, verse 20, they trusted and they trusted in God and they conquered for God. They built that wall, they built that city, and they built it in record time. I'm not sure that could even be accomplished today. Too many, too many bosses and not enough willing workers. They conquered for God because they knew they were called of God to, to, to finish the job. Look at chapter 6, verse 3, and this is the last verse that we'll read. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Now, you remember what that was. Those, those guys were trying to distract him and, and to cause the work to stop. Nehemiah knew, no, this is, this is deceptive. I don't have time to come down and have a conversation with you and cease what I'm doing. Because if I come and deal with you, my place will leave a hole and the job that I'm supposed to be doing will not be getting done. So again, I ask you this question. If someone were to ask you, how well do you know God? I'm asking that from this standpoint. Do you spend time dedicated and concentrating on him and the needs that he would have you fulfill and on the needs of others? Are you compassionate and concerned? Is your prayer life vibrant and vital? Do you speak to God like he's your friend and that he's with you at all times? Or just in desperation? Wringing your hands, saying, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And if God is calling you and asking you to do something here at Harvest, to be involved, and you've yet to put your yes on the table and say, I want to be involved in this good work. Then maybe tonight, you need to commit that to God and say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. I want to put my hand to the work. I want to build your church for the cause of Christ. Whatever that may be. I trust you'll take up that challenge and be a courageous follower. Maybe God's wanting you to be a courageous, confident leader. You say, oh, no, it's too much. Maybe you should just say yes and then let God do in you what you cannot do for yourself. And you'll be surprised what God can do through you and accomplish great things that you never imagined. Surrender. Give it to him. Say, okay, God, I will get to work. Father, we love you tonight.